Well, that hadn't happened when I was in Washington State history class. I'm that old. Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. All right, welcome back to this episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast. My guest again is Troy Moss. Troy, welcome. Thank you, Scott. Um, Just for context, folks, we're actually recording this one in person in an echoey room, so sound quality may may be challenging. And for my engineer, he gets to work for this one. So, Troy... We're talking history today, and I would love for you to share your background and why history is important to you. Absolutely. Well, history has been important to me since I was a little kid. Uh, My mom was always telling me stories, family history. When we would travel, we'd do a lot of traveling. She would tell me stories about where we were at and, and, and things that happened. And it sparked my interest, and so I started reading a lot as a young kid. Uh, when I was in the first grade, I was reading adult books on the American Revolution, Civil War, and so so I, ever since a little kid, I've always been really big into history. Well, and okay, so your mom kind of lit that spark. Yes. Now, you, you weren't born in Washington. You moved here. How old were you when you moved to Washington? So... Uh, I was born in Mobile, Alabama, moved up here. Gosh, I think I, I don't even think I was one year old. Oh, yeah. okay. Okay. Moved back to Alabama. So it's been back and forth a few times. Okay. Yeah. And then you, you kind of as teenage years and all that in, into adulthood. Pyaw. Correct. Let's yeah. Give you context. You're, you're yeah. Right. Moved here in uh, 1980. So I was in the ninth grade. Okay. One of the requirements of ninth grade here is Washington state history. And I was blessed to have a wonderful teacher, Mr. Rubles, uh, taught me Washington State history. And he was writing a book on the uh, the Indian War we're going to discuss okay. today. And he totally fascinated me because he would talk about things that happened and then tell us where they were at. So you could actually go and see where this happened. And so that, that really, ever since then, I've been... Uh, kind of all the time into Washington State Now, I'm going to make fun of you because I took Washington State history in ninth grade as well, <laughs> and I loved it. Don't get me wrong. But most of the kids in class were like, oh, this is so boring. Oh, you know, yes. And they were just totally checked out, like, none of this matters. And here, here you are geeking out over going to be able to see things that your teacher was instructing you. So, you know, I get that. But be honest with me. Were most of the kids in your classroom kind of half asleep? And oh, I think every one of them, but me. Yeah, see, that's just that's just yeah, that's kind of the way it works. Yeah, high school kids in history just like oh yeah. So after high school, you kept you know you mentioned before we hit record that you're into old maps. Yes. How yes. that happen? So I found. Uh, in old map 1889, and I can't even remember where I got this from. And it showed all the old original donation land claims. That's where the first American settlers uh, yep. settled at in the Puyallup Valley. I'm like, oh, wow. I didn't know that. You know, and it's like right down the road from my house. Right. And uh, 
so the old maps really uh, became kind of a thing for me. I'm almost a map geek as much as I am a history geek. <laughs> Probably more so, I think. Really? Yeah. So what do you do with your maps? Are you, do you have one of those map... Um, do you have you seen what I'm talking about those those file cabinets for maps with like the thin drawers that lay them out flat? I don't know. I roll them up. Do you? I, okay. Yeah, yeah. So they're a challenge. I have to put books on them to hold them flat and get out the magnifying glass. All right. Yeah. So what's the coolest map in the collection? Uh, well, I have a copy, not an original, of a map that William Tolmy made in 1853, showing the Hudson's Bay Company land holdings mm. in the. Uh, in the Puget Sound area. Okay. Hand-drawn, okay. not to scale. Wow. <laughs> Actually, I spent, uh, gosh, well over a year translating that map to a modern map that shows the roads and putting it to scale. Right. Yeah, that, that was fascinating. And is that what you guys used on your, on your journey? Yes. Okay. Yes. And that was another episode. I can't remember what number it was. We'll link to it in the show notes because Troy's been, you're a repeat guest. Welcome back. Thank like, you. Did you ever watch the Saturday Night Live thing with the Five Timers Club where they get a robe and all that in the background? I have not oh, seen yeah. that. Oh, yeah. We'll do that here. We'll have you back on. You'll be a part of the Five Timers Club. Well, it's it's good to be back. And it's kind of a, uh, a very, very similar thing, really, because I'm into history, but I'm a, I call myself a hands-on historian. Okay. I don't just want to read about it. I want to see it. I want to get my boots dirty. I want to go go walk the lay of the land. So I do a lot of stuff. I'll find it, find like an old road on a, on a map. Cannot find it on any modern road. So I'll go out and walk the grounds and find these old roads. And you can still see stuff today. It's oh. amazing. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes you can't, sometimes you can't. Depends on the development, what's been done. So one of the things you mentioned earlier was that there's a ton of history in the state. Yes. But in your opinion... And I agree. Not we haven't done the best at showcasing it, documenting it, preserving it. Correct. I agree with that. So where it really came clear is I was following the uh, Lewis and Clark Trail, and in Idaho we went over the border into Idaho, and Idaho had signs up all over the place. I mean, it seemed like uh, every two miles there was a sign to pull over and read about the Lewis and Clark Trail. And they do an outstanding job. And then being from the South, there's signs all over the South saying, here's what happened on this date in the Civil War or whatever. Mm -hmm. The East Coast, same thing. And our history is a lot fresher over here. It's newer. And for some reason, you know, it's, maybe it's because of the quick growth, but it seems to be forgotten a little bit. Okay. What would you do if you could change that? If it was your power, I'm putting you on the spot. You, you have the power. What would you? What do you think would be a good first direction to go into? Well, I think uh, like a great example is the South Hill Historical Society put maps up in their region, South Hill only, mm -hmm. marking the uh, the old military road, which used to be the Natchez Trail that the uh, natives used for mm -hmm. centuries, if not longer, and. I would, that's what I would do is, is mark, okay. mark places, historical places where things happen. Okay. Here in Eastern Washington, especially when I go up into Okanagan County, there's these uh, signs on the side of the road, typically strung between two posts, uh, painted like a reddish brown and, and they use a router to carve in, you know, and so it's got that state 
park sign look mm-hmm. and they'll say something you know this you know they're you know a paragraph long of description and there was one out of omac i pulled over to read it and it's you know and it, what you're looking at is high tension power lines now and it, it just was it was just disheartening to me because it was trying to talk about something that happened like in the 1870s and so you're looking at this meadow and there's high tension power lines going through it. And it's yeah. like, oh, it's a little disappointing because it's right. hard to give it context right. when we put modern stuff through. So yeah, it sure is. But, it sure is. Yeah, but it's better than nothing. So right? I use uh, I use Google Maps a lot with my old maps. Okay, and that helps me correl- correlate the two together. And so one thing I wish you could do, you know, in Google Maps you can actually go back in time a little bit. Mm-hmm. But wouldn't it be cool to be able to go back two hundred years, three hundred years? Yeah, that would be kind of frightening at times too. Though. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get started on, on, on today's main topic, on a personal question. So you went to high school in Puyallup. You've stayed in Puyallup all these years. Yes, yes. Simple question, complex answer, right? Why? What What about Puyallup has, yeah, why Why did you stay? Puyallup really feels like home home to me uh the people the natives the people that grew up in Puyallup area are some of the nicest people I've ever met anywhere so in all my travels there's different cultures um people are people are different everywhere you go Mm -hmm. and the culture in Puyallup in the early 80s just some of the finest people I've ever met okay And still hang out with them to this day, and they're still fine people. I get a kick out of on your social media. You guys go to cockerels a lot, uh, yes. And, and, you know, and it seems like that's almost like a an ongoing Puyallup High School reunion. It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, it is indeed. So we're going to talk about the Puget Sound Indian War of eighteen fifty five to eighteen fifty six. You want to set the stage? Sure. So one. Uh, I have a question for you, Scott. Sure. Did you even know there was an Indian War in 1855, 1856? I, I did know that there was an Indian War, but I wasn't know. I did not know the years. Uh huh. So you could uh-huh. have said 1843, and I would <laughs> oh, okay. So in all transparency, I was not aware of the years. But yes, I am aware that we had conflict. Yeah, and I don't think a lot of a lot of people are really. I think you have to learn it, watch it state history but that's probably about it well that hadn't happened when i was in washington state history class i'm that old (laughs) Uh, so so there's a lot of things that that uh led up to this so you know of course pre-contact the indians lived here for untold centuries thousands of years and uh they developed a culture uh and i'm going to talk specifically the puget sound region okay Eastern side of the mountains, totally different lifestyle, different culture. Mm-hmm. But the Puget Sound Indians really had kind of a good thing going on, in my opinion. So, you know, and really, history is, is tricky because uh, you want it to be, history is factual. It's things that actually happen. Mm-hmm. But there's different ways to look at it and different interpretations. Sometimes there is opinions to that. And so... It skews it, and I try not to do that too much. But okay. uh, so they lived really, uh, they had a pretty darn good lifestyle. They followed the seasons. So, for example, in the winter, they spent the time uh, close to the salt water, mm-hmm. the fish, the shellfish. And as, uh, as the season would progress, they would move further in the mountains, and by the fall, they would be in the mountains picking berries up high on the mountain. 
And so they would kind of follow the, uh, uh, basically follow the, um, their food source. Okay. Yeah. And it was, it, I don't know if you've done any uh, clamming or oysters or mm-hmm. right. uh, you can just pick it up right off the ground. It's not that, not that tough. I'm an indoors guy. I gotta <laughs> be honest. Yeah. But but well, that's one thing about the the Puget Sound region with the absolute abundance of of food sources. Yes, yeah, so that's okay. Yes, not saying it was super easy lifestyle, but comparatively speaking, compared to some, it was uh, right, uh, pretty abundant. So, when they first had contact with Europeans, it was mainly traders coming in on boats on the coast, mm-hmm. like in the uh, uh, mouth of the Columbia River. Uh, and also into Puget Sound in the late 1700s. And their contact with uh, with those people introduced smallpox. Mm. And smallpox, I've heard as low as 30% and as high as 80% of the population died from smallpox in the 1770s. Do we have a estimate of what the, the Indian population was back then? You know, uh, I don't know the numbers on, okay. off the top of my head, but... Okay. Yeah, there's there are estimates out there. Okay. Yeah, I don't know what it is. All right. So by the time we actually have recorded history, the population was had already been decimated. It used to be a lot more abundant with people. Okay. Yeah, it was kind of a uh, it's like even when Lewis and Clark came in 1801, there had been a smallpox epidemic right before they came through. They saw the, uh, the scars and. And they noticed that the people, they would come across villages that were, you know, the, the buildings were up, no people, a lot of bones. Mm. So you, he, they could tell it had just been devastated. So, so they really took a hit by that, by the time Europeans really got involved here. Uh, the next people to really have contact with the uh, natives in this area were the Hudson's Bay Company. And what they were initially were fur traders and and traders. And so it was a mutually beneficial relationship. They helped each other. They got along well. They weren't here to take the land. They used used some land, but they weren't here to take it to conquer it. They were here to trade. Mm-hmm. Now, in uh, Fort Nisqually that was established in uh, what's now DuPont in 1833, and that initially was a fur trading post, but it became a agricultural center. They grew, uh, uh, you know, just cows, sheep, uh, corn, okay. potatoes uh, to feed all their other forts on the east side of the mountains that couldn't grow anything. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I so it became a I've agricultural never heard that. center. I've never heard that story before. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they um, they use a lot of the... Uh, the local tribes to help them with the farming. And once again, it was a mutually, they mm-hmm. didn't make them do it. Right. It was a mutually beneficial arrangement and they got along quite well. They're very friendly. Well, totally not to hijack this because of what we're talking about, but so to transport then from, from DuPont over to the east, east side of the state, were the Indians involved in helping with that? Were they using Indian paths? I mean, do you know? I mean, uh, yeah, you know? absolutely. They were. So uh, the main, main trail, was the Natchez Trail. Okay. And that went all the way from Stillicum to Walla Walla, basically. Centuries old path. Where did that cut through the Cascades at? 
Uh, do you know where Greenwater is at off of Highway 410? I do. Right there. Follow the White River, basically. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Quite the shortcut. If you've ever driven 410 or White Pass or Snoqualmie Pass, uh, that's a lot shorter than any of those. Yes, it is. Okay. Yes. Okay. Good yeah. to know. All right. Yeah. So, but they mainly used um, they mainly used uh, boats. Oh. Okay. So they would go overland from Fort Nisqually down south to the Cowlitz River, which is a town of Toledo. Now, mm-hmm. catch the uh, Cowlitz River to the Columbia. And then the Columbia, they would take it all the way up into eastern Washington. That actually makes sense. Okay. Yeah. I was somehow thinking they were carrying this all across the Cascades, and I was like, oh. They but- mainly used uh, the Natchez Trail for uh, to transport horses, cows, and okay. sheep back and forth. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So it wasn't until... Um, the era of the Oregon Trail. So we're talking the 1840s. People were flocking to the Oregon country. Yeah. The, the land was so rich, you could grow anything. You'd just throw seeds down and just grow the biggest. <laughs> you know, the, the sales pitches were pretty hilarious. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, and so people were just flocking over here. And now one thing to keep in mind is that Washington State, was Oregon Territory until 1853. That's when it became Washington Territory. Okay. So this is the Oregon country. This is what people were traveled thousands of miles to come to. So the um, so the American government established a thing called the Donation Land Law. If you were a single individual, if you proved the land, so if you established, surveyed the land, and worked it for, I think the period was two years, uh, they would give you 160 acres. If you were married, 320 acres. So on these old maps I have, there's a lot of these 160, 320 acre right. uh, plots. And if you look at a current surveyed maps, you can still see those boundaries right. on there. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I had a, we've recorded an episode that's published before this one uh, with Rene Fabre, who's in the title industry you know, for real estate title. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of a, uh, an amateur historian as well, or a hobbyist historian. And he was talking about how they surveyed our area and how, how fast they were able to do it though. And I can't remember, I don't want to quote what it was, but it was like some staggering thing, basically to get from Portland to the Canadian border. They did it in a very short period of time. It's like, it would, I think it would take you longer to drive now with traffic than I mean, to get through Seattle. But I, I kid, but it was, it was like the staggering thing. It really was fast. Yeah. And yeah. And I, Anyway, and that kind of comes back to your 160 and 320 because the sections were 640 acres for ease because you could break it down. Correct. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And like the uh, Roden Puyallup Meridian, mm-hmm. it's, it's that's the meridian that right. they would use to pull the uh, surveys right. off of. And that's why on these old maps, it's really easy to tell where meridian is at because it's that main, it's that main line coming through the maps. Yeah. Okay, I live, let's see, Meridian to my street, four miles maybe, uh-huh. four miles west of that, and I've never connected those two dots together until right now. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just something I stumbled upon by. I would not. Yeah. Oh yeah okay. All right. Yeah, it's crazy. Fascinating. All right. So so here you have these uh, these native tribes lived in peace, 
along come the British, live in peace with them. American settlers come over and they start laying these 160, 320 acre plots right in the middle of their favorite land, like uh, camas, camas roots, mm-hmm. big part of their food source. They would it, they would go to harvest camas and they'd be all fenced off and they would get run off. Because huh. no, this is my this is my property now. Oh. And so that's where the animosity really started. Um, the American settlers were were flooding in. So uh, what's the figures? Uh, the first families uh, settled in the Tumwater area in 1845. Mm-hmm. And there was a handful. There's like three families. By 1853, there were 3,965 settlers in the Puget Sound region. Jeez. Yeah, so they came flooding in. So the the uh, conflict ended up to being once Washington State became a uh, uh, became a territory, elected governor Isaac Stevens. His first mission was to establish treaties with the uh, with the local tribes. Uh, treaties a pretty loose word. It was not a negotiation. It was uh, here's what you are going to do, and you need to sign it. Mm-hmm. So, so they met met with the tribes. Uh, what's the date? It was in December eighteen fifty four. At have you ever been um, I five? Drop down from Dupont down there. It's the Nisqually, the Billy Frank mm-hmm. Wildlife Reserve. Yes, right there. There used to be an old tree. It fell down in a windstorm years ago. But you could always tell where the treaty was signed because that tree was oh. still standing, not okay. any longer. But. But I've been down. That's getting the boots dirty. I've been down there. It's not easy to get to. But so, is there a marker there, though? Uh, there is not. No, there's a marker at a gas station about two miles away. Okay. Right. <laughs> but to go to the actual spot, yeah, you gotta. You're gonna hmm. get wet up to your knees and. Oh geez. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Do some bushwhacking. Okay. Uh, but pretty interesting. It was a uh, place where they uh, they held councils. Uh, the tribes did for years and years. It was one of their regular meeting places. So, so they meet to have this treaty, and we're talking the uh, Puyallup tribe, uh, the Nisqually tribe, uh, Muckleshoot, uh, Stillicum, and some others whose names I can't even pronounce. It's more, they weren't. Troy, we were talking about Medicine Creek and the tribes that were there. Let's pick it up from there. All right. All right. So Medicine Creek Treaty uh, was uh, Governor Stevens who was the um, uh, representative of the United States government making a treaty with the Puyallup tribe, the Nisqually tribe, Muckleshoot, Squaxin, Stillicum, and several others that I cannot pronounce. Uh, they were a little looser, uh, less organized, shall we say, then than they are now. There were more bands that identified together, like live in the, on the Nisqually River area or Nisqually, live in the Puyallup River area or Puyallup, but they're separate bands. Right. Okay. A great example, have you ever heard of uh, Chief Leshai yes. before? So Leshai, he lived in a place called uh, Michelle, Michelle Prairie. Not Eatonville, you know, yeah, Eatonville. Eatonville. So you're heading out to Eatonville on Highway 7. You go down, cross the Ohop Creek, yep. climb the hill on the other side. First road you come to on the right is a Michelle Prairie Road. That is Leshai's old village. That's where he was born in 1808. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a, that segues us right back to the Medicine Creek Treaty. He was there. He was not pleased with the 
the arrangement that was getting kind of crammed down their throat. Uh, so it really wasn't. Uh, so what are the stats on this? So the treaty gave the United States 2.24 million acres of land in exchange for three 1,200 acre reservations, cash payments. I want to say it was like 30 grand over a period of 20 years, um, medical care and schools to be built for them. And they gave them the land they gave them was absolute crap. Uh, like uh, one of the reservations in the Nisqually Reservation was on the Nisqually Bluff uh-huh. on the opposite side of the Nisqually Delta from DuPont up on that hill. Trees, rocky soil, couldn't grow anything. And so so they had, their way of life was, was about uh, fishing, clams, oysters at the saltwater level, the fish, berries, hunting up the rivers, and uh, up high into the mountains with the berries as well. So the res- reservation system really, it was almost more like a concentration camp. They mm-hmm. could not survive. They were starving to death. Uh, one of the food sources that the uh, the government gave them was molasses. Yeah, could you imagine living on molasses? No. <laughs> no. no. Yeah, I'd be pretty pissed off too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, needless to say, they weren't they weren't very happy. Took them a long time uh, for things to get hostile. You know, I'm going to disagree with you. Uh, Ten months is not a long time. Mm. Think about that. I mean, it was this was this was signed at the end of December, and then less than a year later, hostilities break out. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, I think it's safe to say that they realized they were sold a bill of goods. I, yeah, and so I think they re- realized immediately. So I, I don't know if we caught the part where it was done in, uh, where the treaty was explained to them in the Chinook jargon in lieu of their own language. So they really didn't have an understanding of what the heck was going on. I'm surprised it took 10 months for them to get that angry. Yeah. 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 Okay. Do you know, one of the things, do you know where the, the, the three reservations, other than the one you mentioned there, do you know where the other two were? I don't know exactly off the top of my head. Okay. Uh, Puyallup. Okay. I, now, I know the Muckleshoot didn't, reservation didn't happen until after the Indian War. Okay. So, uh, one thing interesting to note, uh, like the size of the Yakima reservation, mm-hmm. the Indians that fought ended up with larger reservations. So the reservations these tribes got, uh, the size after the war was much greater oh, yeah, the than Yak- what they were given the before the war. Reservations huge, huge. Colville's huge yes. as well. Okay, and originally they were very small as well. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. So it it uh, it did. It took them ten months to uh, get angry enough to actually want to fight and get their land back, mm-hmm. to get their way of life back. Because they, they could not exist how they did before. Right. People were starving to death. So uh, up there on uh, Connell's Prairie, up by Bonnie Lake, Sumner Buckley Highway, there is a marker there. One of those stone pyramid markers yeah. marks the spot. You've seen I've it. I've seen it, but I've never paid attention to it. Yeah, yeah. That's where that's where the ambush happened. Oh, okay. So we had troops going from the west side to help soldiers that were getting beat up by the Akamas on the east side had gone over. And there were a couple couple following them. It's kind of a mixed report whether they were hunting Leshi, Chief Leshi, 
or uh, going over with a message for those other soldiers. But anyways, they got ambushed and killed. That was the start of the hostilities, the very first casualties, October 27th, 1855. The next day, October 28th, uh, nine settlers were killed in what is currently the town of Auburn. Uh, that was a pretty, pretty bad event. Women, children killed, as well as a man. Uh, two kids made it out. Um, there was a friendly Indian that uh, snuck them away from the from the ones that were were violent and uh, took them to Seattle in a canoe. So, and those kids have written their stories. So, it's a great firsthand account of okay. of that event. Yeah. So, boy, once word got out about that, the then the settlers were up in arms. So, so what you really had there was a. Uh, it was such a difference of opinion. The uh, the settlers felt justified in what they were doing. You know, the, the whole, uh, what do they call that? Manifest destiny. Right. It's our God-given right to conquer the yeah. land and, and take it over. And the Indians, it's like, hey, this has been ours for centuries. This is our way of life. And so it's very natural that, that they had to duke it out over that. And that's what they did. So... So what that led to was the settlers forming militias as well as the U.S. government sending troops up to the area. And they operated uh, somewhat together, also independently, uh, volunteers, very unorganized and uh, quite a bit more ruthless than the uh, U.S. soldiers. So one of the things you mentioned here is what you call the winter of discontent. Oh, yes. Yes. And you say... In, in these are your notes that you shared with me. So we've got, you know, the tribes struggle with their food and supplies, which we kind of talked about. They were given that, well, their, 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 their access to water was taken from them. They were given rocky soil. So they're in, in molasses. Right. But you mentioned they go hiding, they go into hiding in the mountains. Correct. Do you know kind of where? The Green River Gorge is where Leshai was hiding at that water. Okay. Yes. Okay. Uh, so what the what the volunteers in the U.S. Army did is they built a series of blockhouses throughout the region mm-hmm. along the uh, Natchez Trail, along the main courses of travel, and stockpiled. They had supplies, ammo, food, so they were they were well outfitted. And meanwhile, the Indians, wintertime, normally they're uh, they're hanging loose close to the salt water, mm-hmm. and they're forced into the mountains. And so again, no, no food source. Really they're struggling. Element. They're yeah. struggling. Yeah. Yes. Pretty interesting. Um, Centralia. You've been down to Centralia. I have. Have you seen Fort Borst? Uh, I have not. It's a blockhouse. You can see it from I-5. It's one of the few existing blockhouses built in 1855. Really? Yeah. You can see it right off I-5. Uh, there was one built in Tukwila, Fort Dent. Uh, that, yeah, okay. Camp Montgomery in Spanway, right on the military road. Yeah. And there's a stone marker there. Right, yeah. right. Okay. Yep. And then uh, another one where there's a stone marker is uh, Fort Malone, Fort Maloney in Puyallup. It's right where the uh, where Meridian crosses the Puyallup River when you're heading north away from town. Yes. Yep, there was a blockhouse right there. That was a main crossing. Kind of like where the O'Farrell's was? Yeah, right across <laughs> the river from there. Okay. Right across the river from there. The roller rink? Sorry. 
so yeah, they, uh, the tribes really struggled with food supplies and were basically were in hiding mm-hmm. and, and they ended up, um, uh, less shy and a lot of his, uh, his people crossed the mountains and gosh, I, I want to say it was March. Uh, talk about difficult. I was, I was, uh, driving over here today and there's a <laughs> lot of snow and I couldn't imagine trying to cross the mountains in, in March, but, uh, uh, uh yeah. To uh, seek help from the Yakimas. Yakimas were in their own predicament. And, and uh, I'm not, I hear there's so many different stories you read. So, I, what I like to do is read personal accounts mm-hmm. where people that were there tell their story. And then you read another one and they can contradict each other. So, sometimes you don't know, you don't know what's, what's exactly right. It's a, it comes down to opinion and observation, I guess. Right. But um, so, whether the Yakimas turned him away, or were un, unable to help him. Either way, he was he did not stay there. He came back and basically surrendered. Okay. Surrendered himself. Yeah. Yeah. And so he was captured in, in November of of eighteen fifty six. That's correct. Yeah. So so really there was no last well, the last battle was in, in uh um, March 10th, 1856 at Connell's Prairie again, okay. where it started. It ended there as well. Um, but it, there was no like line in the sand. This is the end, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it just kind of petered out. Hmm. Um, the Indians went into hiding and, um, and it just kind of, there's just a little small, small events happening here and there. Uh, but it was when uh, Leshai was captured. For for some reason, Leshai he was like the only name printed in the newspapers of the time, and even he was a he was a great man. He was a, a wonderful man, a great leader of his people, a protector of his people. Uh, he was actually respected by the settlers by the Hudson's Bay Company. Mm-hmm. He was a very prosperous man. Had many horses, cattle. He farmed. Um, but for some reason during the war, he got all the brunt of it and he actually went on trial for murder after he was captured in November and thrown, thrown in jail. So remember earlier, I mentioned that the, uh, there's the volunteers, which are settlers, basically mm-hmm. U S government. And when Leshai was captured, total totally at odds with each other over that us government saw it as this was a war and you cannot try someone for murder for things that happened during war so they wanted to exonerate him let him loose settlers uh were determined Hmm. to try him convict him and hang him and that's what happened okay yeah that's uplifting story yeah thanks (laughs) (laughs) So uh, one of Leshai's uh, great protectors, you know, not only William Tomey, he was a friend of Leshai long before all this, um, and went to his aid to help him during his trial, uh, but a guy named August Kautz, Lieutenant uh, Kautz, born in Germany, uh, he uh, uh, went to West Point and was sent up here because of the Indian war, but he became friends with Leshai when he was in captivity. And he also helped and and he was at his trials 
and proved he went to the spot where he, where Leshai was accused of murdering mm-hmm. murdering someone and and uh, basically had had the case that he could not have done it. He was viewed at this spot, and then the person was killed in this spot. And there's no way in the time period that it happened. So he basically proved that it could not have been Leshai, but still, due to the times, he was convicted and hung. So after the war was over, did we begin to negotiate for the tribes were able to get some larger, some larger land or the, you know, um, or did, were they just kind of stuck? No, they were. So there's, it's called the, uh, the uh, council of Fox Island. Fox Island was another uh, area used as basically an internment camp for the tribes, but that's where governor Stevens met with the tribes, gave them, Land in the Nisqually Bottom, which is the current Nisqually Reservation. Mm-hmm. Puyallup, which is the current uh, Puyallup Reservation, though at that time it went from Commencement Bay all the way up to the border of what is now the city of Puyallup. So it's oh, wow. it's gotten smaller mm-hmm. due to private sale. But, um, and then also that's when the Muckleshoot Reservation was established as well, up above Auburn there. So yeah, they uh, they got a little better deal. At the end, but still, not really. Not you really. know what I mean? Yeah, it's quite sad. Quite sad tale. This wasn't on your notes. What backstory do you know about Governor Stevens? How did he? Do you know how he got placed? Where where he came from? Any anything there? You know, uh, not I, to put you on the spot. Yeah, not not off the top of my head. Too much of his backstory before then. I do know that he ended up uh, serving in the U.S. Army during the Civil War and dying in a battle of the Civil War. Okay. But his early story, I really don't don't know too much. Okay. Yeah. So uh, one interesting story is in 2004, Chief Leshy was officially exonerated by the Washington State Legislature. He was basically, they uh, reopened his case and, and he was exonerated. Okay. Which is uh, a great victory, I think. Another question. This August Gout's character. Yeah. Is that the hike you're going to recreate? Is it, this the same person? It is indeed. Yes. he's. Uh, so just after the Indian War in 1857, he went from uh, his headquarters at Fort Stillicum to within 300 feet of the summit of Mount Rainier. Right. And me and my buddy Jerry are going to... That's what you're going to do. Recreate that trip. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So one thing that's fun, Scott, so like that trip that Jerry and I are doing, is there's a lot of things that happen in here. Like there was a battle in the Puyallup Valley where these guys were holed up in this cabin, surrounded, being shot at. And they say, say the guy's name, Charles Bidding. So I look it up on my maps. I see right where his donation land claim. And I go out there and check it out. And so much history to me is so much more interesting when you go to the spot where it happened. Mm-hmm. As opposed to just reading about it. You actually see see where it is. Right. And right behind that property, that's where the old Natchez Trail went from the Pelt Valley up to Bonnie Lake. And... It's undeveloped right now, and you can still see traces of the old 
Really? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely fascinating. That's yeah, a water watershed. I don't know what's more fascinating that you can still see traces or it's undeveloped. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, it's a watershed. That's why it's undeveloped. Still. <laughs> <laughs> that region. Uh, what? So there was never really the way you're describing it. There was never really a a flag planted in the ground said this conflict is over. It just kind of fizzled out. Just kind of fizzled out. Yes. Yeah. Were there any other flare-ups afterwards though, or were the tribes, or did they just kind of, you know, I don't, I don't know what the right word I want to just, you know, agree to what's going on and, and move moved on, if you will. You know, it's, it's very interesting. Um, the uh, the natives on the east side, like the Yakima, mm-hmm. uh, they continued to fight for quite a while. Okay. Palouse, Walla Walla, quite a while afterwards. Uh, but the Indians on the on the west side, not too much. A little bit. There'd just be little individual conflicts. The dust up here, there. right? Okay. Right. Nothing. No, no or, organized. Okay. No organized fighting. Yeah, they really they really got a raw deal, and I uh, I think they just must have settled for what was their fate at that time, which is as tragic as that is. That's well, what else do you got there on your notes that we, cause, or have we come to the end of this chapter? I think we've come to the end of this chapter, Scott. Okay. Yes. Yes. Well, indeed. This, this is, this is actually really interesting. Cause I mean, some of it, you know, chief less I've heard of, you know, but, most of what you shared today, I was completely unaware of, and I'm not trying to portray myself as knowledgeable, but m- so th- most of this was really interesting to me. One thing I'd like to circle back to, and I, just don't, I don't know that you're going to have any more information, but here you mentioned that in the, in the 1770s, you know, the, the native population was decimated with, with disease, but you also mentioned that we had another smallpox and epidemic in in 1800 1802 put my glasses on so i can really read right before lewis and clark came through and then we had influenza in the 1836 1837 measles 1847 1848 smallpox again in 1862 western disease really played havoc here didn't it it really did you know and i imagine scott i i sometimes wonder what would have happened had their populations been what it was like previously right. when the settlers came over here. I think it would have been a whole different story. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I didn't realize um, the number of outbreaks. Right. I, I yes. wasn't, you know, I wasn't, I knew there was an outbreak. And that's just the recorded ones. Who yeah. knows what, what else happened? I, I wasn't aware of, of the um, number well, this is this is really interesting and um, depressing at the same time. It, yeah, if I'm it, really, honest. it really is. You know, yeah. it, it's a it's a clash of cultures. You can see it from uh, you you can see it from the settlers' um, eyes, right? Um, you know, most of the people coming out here of uh, uh, British, Irish, or mm-hmm. Scots Irish descent mm-hmm. who were always pushing westward for generations, right? Um, that manifest destiny attitude. Right, right. And um, and then the tribes who who were had a great relationship with the land and lived with the land. Right. 
and the two could not coexist together. Yeah, yeah, it, it really. But it's another interesting fact to me here is the is the relationship that the Hudson Bay and the traders had with the natives that they were collaborative. There was mutual benefit here, and it. I don't know what word I want. Disappointing to me that here economics were favorable. Everybody got a little something here. Traders got what they wanted in the form of whatever they were trading the Indians for. The Indians got whatever they wanted in return. Not if whatever they wanted. Both sides very happy with the arrangement. Ha- right. Yes. And yet we couldn't see that long term. Very sad. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's a shame. It's a shame. Uh, you know, I really see the American settlers as uh, dominating the land. Possessive mm-hmm. of the land. As opposed to living with it, they were. Uh, it, it was about uh, you know farming, mm-hmm. making money, uh, timber industry. Right. Uh, that was one of the first cash crops was was uh, the lumber, mm-hmm. and so it was about dominating the land, which is you know it's polar opposite of but what both the Hudson's Bay Company and the natives right. were were doing. Yeah. Well, I always close an episode with my get out of free jail card is what, what didn't I ask you that I should have? What did we overlook? Oh, geez. I think we, we covered a lot there. Well, there's, I it's, mean, it's so vast. We, right. we glazed over a lot but, of things. But we but. really, we wanted to really, today we wanted to, uh, to talk about the, the Puget Sound War of the 1855-56. Put you on the spot. What are we going to talk about next time? So hand in hand with what happened in the Puget Sound area was also wars on the east side of the state. Okay. Uh, the Yakima, Walla Walla, Palouse, tribes. Okay. Uh, considerably more warlike, and uh, they really gave it gave it to them. And mm-hmm. a lot a lot more happened on the east side, honestly, okay. um, you know, battle-wise. battle, battle wise. Okay. Uh, you mentioned someone named Steptoe earlier. There's mm-hmm. a guy named Steptoe that, uh, that had a battle with the Indians. Steptoe Butte. You ever mm-hmm. heard of Steptoe Butte? Yes. 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 We'll, we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit in our next episode. That sounds great. We'll look forward to it. Thanks, Trent. Thank you. Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.